preaching, changing, serving, loving, these are all great ideas. You know, I think we have a pretty good strategy here, team. But is something missing? Well, I have an idea. understand their perspective and culture. Let me guess. Does that remind you of someone? Actually, this. All right. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. And let me reiterate before I get into our topic. What Steve said earlier here from the stage is that I hope we are high energy. This thing is, woof, high energy. Lost me for a second there, I'm sorry. What Steve said from the stage earlier, which is that, after that thing blinded me, what Steve said from the stage earlier, no, I'm joking, is that we need to have energy, okay? And that we are um, here today, and we're not just here just because we have to be here. We're here because we love to be here. And what, who should be happier than the children of God gathered in the house of God on a Sunday on a beautiful day like today. That's why I was so happy when we were singing those nice songs and they all were screaming and the energy and stuff like that. Children of God should be the happiest people in the whole wide world. And children of God assembling together on a Sunday in May, shining, new chairs. Like, man, it should be the happiest people in the whole wide world, all right? So thank you all for bringing energy. I'll do my best to bring some energy here as well as we are wrapping up this series called Mission Witness. And what we've been talking about for the past five weeks, for those who haven't been here, is we are talking about what it means to be a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We all believe in the resurrection, but what we saw, what we've been seeing, is that you can't really believe in something like the resurrection without witnessing to it. Just like if you really believed you won the lottery, you would witness to that, and everyone around you would know that you won the lottery. You can't believe in something so great and not witness to it. And if you do say, I believe, but I don't witness, that says something about you. That doesn't say anything about the resurrection. That says something about you and what you believe and what's going on inside you. But what we are seeing here is that the call to witness, while the what is the same, the how is unique. All right, and the what is witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every person that Jesus met, he met the ladies by the tomb. First thing he said is, go and tell them. Go and tell the disciples. Tell the disciples, go and tell others. It was go and tell. So the what is the same. We have to witness to the resurrection. But the how is unique. And because we are to preach to every creature on this planet, and every creature is not the same, the methods we use to preach will be unique. So just kind of a recap. We looked at four methods of witnessing to the resurrection thus far. The and each week we're looking at a different hero of the faith. The first week we talked about the traditional way, which is the speaking way. And speaking is what we usually associate with witnessing, and that's super important. And we saw St. Fotini, the, lady, the woman at the well from John 4, but we saw her life after John 4, and what we learned from the church tradition about how she became a great missionary and a martyr. Some people will witness through change, and that is fighting the evils of society. We saw a man in Nazi Germany fight against the most powerful regime in the world, and even though he didn't defeat them, what he did is he witnessed to his faith in the resurrection through his action. Third week, we saw 
uh, uh, third methodology, which is to serve. We saw George Mueller, and we saw how he, by just serving, by never preaching sermons in the street or anything like that, but he changed society, and he showed society that our God is alive, and that our God does care by the way he served hundreds of thousands of orphans. And then last week, I know a lot of people were gone last week and it was, you know, people were traveling and there was weddings, things like that. Man, if you missed last week, you got to go back and listen to last week. Because last week we looked at the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate form of witnessing, which is love. And we saw a lady who did something which is truly unfathomable. Like we use that word unfathomable. What this lady did is unfathomable. Okay, and the way she loved Elizabeth Elliot and what her husband Jim Elliot did. You missed last week, go back and listen to it, okay? You even I give you permission now, walk out of here right now and go listen to it. Because what we talked about last week and is the basis of who we are as a church. We talked about two of our core values as a church of limitless acceptance and genuine love. And we saw how she exemplified that. Today, what we are going to talk about is the fifth methodology which gets to the root of the word mission. All right, oftentimes we connect the following words, evangelism, witnessing, preaching, mission. Those words are kind of connected. Well, the word mission, if you looked up the word mission in the dictionary, you'd find the following. Mission means a group or committee of persons sent to a foreign country to conduct negotiations, establish relations, provide scientific and technical assistance, or the like. What's the key word in this definition of the word mission? We're not talking spiritual, we're not talking religious. Any kind of mission. What's the key word in this definition? Foreign country? Okay, but I'm going to go with this one. Sent. The key word in a mission is a group of people or a person who is sent from one place to another. That's why someone said foreign land. Okay, same kind of concept. My point is you can't be a mission by just sitting there. Like the terminology is go on a mission. You never say like, hey, sit on a mission. It's never stay exactly where you are on a mission. It's never kick back a cold one on a mission. Mission means you are somewhere and you go somewhere else. You go to a foreign land or a foreign country or foreign people or whatever. You're actually leaving something to go to something for the sake of a purpose. There's no such thing as Christianity without mission. There's no such thing Christianity without sent, without the word go. It's what it means to be a Christian. It's what it means to be the body of Christ as a church. And it's what it means for us here we're talking about today. Give you some verses right here. Look what Jesus said after his resurrection. All right, when he told them to witness to the resurrection, in, in witness to the resurrection, Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He didn't say make disciples, he said, go and make disciples, meaning that you are sent from one land to another. Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Again, highlighting go. Luke chapter 10, the first time he sent out, okay, the 70 before the resurrection, but he sent them to preach. He said, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. What did he tell them? What was their instructions? Was go, go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. And he continues on. You see, oftentimes in the religious landscape of America, you'll hear things like the evangelical church. Okay, that's what people will say, like the evangelical church. And we would say, you know, whatever church is an evangelical church. Well, the truth of the matter is the Orthodox church is an evangelical church. The Orthodox church, okay, is evangelical and it's Catholic too, okay? We're not the Roman Catholic church and we're not the evangelical church that is described. But the Orthodox church is evangelical in its roots. And you cannot truly be an Orthodox church without being evangelical. And we're going to see that today. Today we're going to look at a hero of the faith from the Orthodox church 
who, even though you may not realize it, all of us who are sitting here today owe something to this man. And all of us may not realize it, the patron saint of North America is who we're going to talk about today. He was the first Orthodox missionary on North American soil. He was actually the first Orthodox anything on North American soil. And even though he was never a bishop, he was never a priest, he was never a deacon, never had any kind of rank, he's the first saint orth canonized by the Orthodox Church in North America. And his name is Herman of Alaska. Raise your hand if you've heard of Herman of Alaska before. Okay, so not too many. So Herman of Alaska is not someone recognized by the Coptic tradition. Okay, you know there's two families of Orthodoxy. There's the Eastern Orthodox and the Oriental Orthodox, okay? My goal is not to get into all that today, but my point is there's two groups. And the other group of Orthodox with whom we share, okay, a common faith, even though we are not in full communion, but we do share a common faith, all right? Their family of Orthodoxy includes like the Russian, the Greek, et cetera, et cetera. They recognize Herman of Alaska, and he's a big deal for them, especially here in North America. Who is Herman of Alaska? Herman of Alaska was a Russian monk who came to North America in the late 18th century. He came into Alaska when Alaska was still property of Russia at the time. So he was a Russian monk, late 18th century, he came to America. The reason why he came, or came to North America, the reason why he came is because Alaska had been discovered in the mid-18th century, and the Russian government was now sending over businessmen, sending over traders, and also sending over missionaries to colonize Alaska and make it a true Russian colony. Eight men, of whom Herman was one, traveled 7,300 miles before cars and planes and all that kind of stuff, traveled 7,300 miles over the course of 293 days across Siberia. I never been to Siberia, but I hear it's pretty cold over there. They traveled almost one year and they arrived at a place called Kodiak Island, which is a part of Alaska on September 24th, 1794. Their mission is to bring an ancient faith to a modern world. Their mission was to take the Orthodox faith and come to this new land, okay, this new land that was uninhabited by what they would call civilized people. Obviously, the natives were there, but as far as they were concerned, they were, you know, just the natives, and they were bringing an ancient faith to a modern world. The modern world, when they arrived there, doesn't look, didn't look like Alaska looks today. Anybody ever been to Alaska says it's the most beautiful place, and they got the crab legs, and they got the cruise ships, okay, and they got all kinds of fun stuff over there. Well, today, or back then, Alaska was very, very different. The only people that were in Alaska at the time were the natives, and they were a tribe called, I'll do my best here, the Aleuts was the tribe of Native Americans who were there at the time. They got there like, like the Eskimo kind of people. The Aleuts, when they heard the gospel, are first skeptical of who are these white, who are the white men who are coming in with their religion. But shortly thereafter, they were very appreciative and receptive of the gospel. And they welcomed Herman and his group inside to their culture. In the first year, by the end of the first year, first year and a half, they baptized 7,000 people and they conducted over 1,500 marriages. This was great that people were very receptive. But there was a group of people who were not receptive to Herman. You know who it was? the Russian merchants who had gone over before, and the businessmen, of whom they were orthodox in theory as well. The reason why is because they had very corrupt business practices. They totally took advantage of the natives, and they exploited them, and they oppressed them, and they were quite immoral in their behavior. So when the monks came over, of whom Herman was one of them, they stood with the natives, and they stood against the Russian businessmen and the traders, and they fought for the rights of 
the natives. And they said, this what you're doing is not right. One of them was actually killed, okay, in a dispute with some of the Russian merchants. After a few years, the eight men that, that Herman came with, all of them were gone. Some killed, some died by natural causes or storm or something like that. And some, when they saw the difficulty there, quit and went home. Herman stood by himself. And Herman had to make a decision. Wasn't a bishop, wasn't a priest, wasn't even a deacon. Would you stay or would you go? Well, Herman was on a mission. And Herman stayed. And Herman stayed with the people. And he built schools there. He built orphanages there. He was used to being a hermit. So for him, the solitude wasn't a big deal. He had a very simple ascetic life said that he used to eat only blackberries and mushrooms was kind of his diet. So he was kind of like a hipster before there was hipsters, okay, before it was cool to be, kind of a thing. One time they asked Herman, are you lonely here? Are you lonely here? Herman said the following. He said, I have God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the angels with me. What's better than that? He's a very spiritual man. He fought for the rights of the natives. I want to show you just to get a sample of kind of who Herman was on the inside. This is a letter, okay? that he wrote to the governor back in Russia, the man who was in charge of governing this newfound land. And he was advocating for the rights of the people whom he was serving. Look what he said. He said, our creator granted to our beloved homeland, this land, which like a newly born babe does not yet have the strength for knowledge or understanding. It requires not only protection because of his infantile weakness and impotence, but also his sustenance, even for this. It does not yet have the ability to make an appeal on its own behalf. Basically, he's saying is God gave us this land and this land, we have to view it like a child. The land is not ready to stand on its own two feet. So we need to be there for this land. And since the welfare of this nation by the providence of God is not known for how long, since the welfare of this nation is dependent on and has been entrusted into the hands of the Russian government, which has now been given into your power. Therefore, I, the most humble servant of these people and their nurse, it's a very beautiful expression. I, the most humble servant of these people and their nurse, stand before you in their behalf, write this petition with tears of blood. See the heart that Herman had right here? Herman died in December of 1836 at the age of 81, having laid the foundation, having laid the roots for orthodoxy in America. And if any of us today are part of the Orthodox Church, then we have to appreciate the one who came before us, who established orthodoxy, not as only a pastoral church, but as an evangelical, in quotes, you know what I'm trying to say, as a mission church. The orthodox church's roots in America was not to come a place for its immigrants to come. The orthodox roots in America was a place to come and preach the good news of our ancient faith to the modern world and bring the beauty that we have, that they realize that we have been entrusted with something good and we are now going to go to a people who have not, been, have not tasted what we have. And we are going to help them to see the beauty of our ancient faith. He was canonized in 1970 as the first ever American saint. Okay? And he's the patron saint of all the Orthodox in America. That's a quick summary of the life of Herman of Alaska. What can we learn from him? Okay, all the other ones. Okay, serve, I can serve. Uh, change, I can like advocate for change. Speak, I can kind of speak. Love, I, I'm supposed to do love all the time. But like, let's be honest. The majority of us here, myself included, will probably never be sent to a foreign land to preach the gospel. Probably not gonna start many churches. Probably not gonna find a group of people who are native to any land that hasn't been discovered who haven't heard the gospel. So what can we learn from Herman of Alaska? Most of us would say 
We will never be able to be sent anywhere. Because let's be honest, Father Anthony, man, we struggle with our own faith. You want me to go and preach to a, like, I struggle with my own faith. Like, I'll be lucky if I make it in the end. And then you give me kids and you ask me to raise the kids. Like, that's enough for me. Worry about my own faith. Worry about my children. That's more than enough for me. You know our problem in life? Let me tell you your problem in life. Our problem in life is we think too small. We think so small. We think so, so, so small. And we say, I will never be sent anywhere. And I say to you that our very existence on this planet is a mission trip. And our very existence here in Arlington County, right outside the nation's capital, one of the most powerful cities in the world, our very existence here is a mission and is a sent, even though you may not realize it. Look what Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 18. He said, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. So I got good news for you, ladies and gentlemen, or you may think of it as bad news, but here's the news, is that you are on a mission trip, that you have been sent, and you have been called to go, and you are already halfway to where you need to be. And now it's time to see what you're going to do about that. The biggest problem in Christianity today, if you ask my humble opinion, is we have reduced Christianity down to be good. I'm a Christian means I be good. I try to fast whenever I can fast. I try to give when I can give. I try to help an old lady across the street, put a little extra little money in the money box. That makes me a good Christian. We pray every now and then. If we can pray once a day, that's great. If we pray once a day in the morning and once before lunch, hey, we're saints. And all of our prayers are some form of the following. God, keep me safe. Make my life easy. Make my life comfortable. Make everything around me work for me. That is 99% of our prayer. Jesus said, as you, Father, sent me into this world, I send them. Did Jesus come to this world to be comfortable? Was Jesus' prayer to the Father, Father, please don't let anything bad happen to me? Was it, please let, let, my, let my life be safe? Like we think of it as a mission trip where the goal is just to get to the other side without having any problems. Our life on this earth is from birth to death. Hopefully nothing bad happens along the way. Try to avoid sins. Try not to have any disaster happen. And if, and if, if you do that, that's great. I don't think that's why Jesus came. I think we're here for more than that. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. But you, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, his own special people. Why? That you may be safe that you may be comfortable, that you may have a big home, a nice job, a promotion. Why? That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God. Said another way, you are chosen, you are gifted, you are blessed, you are sanctified, you are given everything. Why? That you can go tell somebody else who doesn't have what you've been given. You are called from darkness to light, not to say, thank you, God, for the light, but to go to find someone in the dark and say, hey, come, man. Let me show you what I discovered. If your goal is not bigger than yourself, then what are you doing? Then you're not doing Christianity right. Because if we're supposed to be little Christ on this earth, and our goal is just ourselves, was Christ's goal just himself? Was the apostles' goal just themselves? Like we're an apostolic church. Does that mean our goal is just ourselves? Or does the very word apostolic come from the word apostle means one who is sent. 
That's what apostle means. Disciple means one who follows, and the disciples had to become apostles. One who follows has turned into one who is sent. And the whole point was, you follow me, and then I send you out. You follow me, and I send you out. Imagine that the disciples, when Jesus said, send you out. They say, no, thank you. No, no, no. We have sins, and our goal is just to pray for me. Pray that I can make it to, that I pray for me. Jesus would say, what? Think of the church as medical school. The church is medical school. What's the goal of medical school? Imagine someone says, I want to go to medical school. And I say, why? He says, so I want to learn how to be healthy. I beg your pardon? I'm going to go to medical school so I can learn how to live a healthy life. I'd say, okay. Like, that's very good. Being healthy is very good. But the reason you go to medical school is to be healthy and then help make others healthy, to be a doctor. No one just goes and say, I want to get in shape. I'm going to go to medical school. It's a very expensive and long wait. Maybe we do that in the church. Goal of the church is to get healthy. No. For sure, getting healthy is part of it. But the goal is to get healthy and then help others get healthy. And that's what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. We gotta think bigger. I'm gonna show you a verse here. We're gonna talk about this verse the rest of today. And this verse, to me, captures the idea of what it means to think bigger as the church. Acts chapter one, verse eight. Let me set this up before we read this. Acts chapter one, verse eight. Where does it happen in the context of the life of Christ and his disciples and the church? Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, spent 40 days with his disciples. During those 40 days, what happened? How many people did they preach to? Nobody. Jesus was just with them. Jesus was hanging out with them. Life was good. They ate a lot of food, fish, all kinds of good stuff. Like things were great. And then Jesus, as he prepares to ascend, tells them the following. They hadn't preached. They hadn't left anywhere. They'd just been with Jesus in Jerusalem at this time. But you, Jesus says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. How do you think the disciples interpreted this when Jesus said it? What was their response? Let's say I say to you, again, they haven't, like we know the story, that they go to the ends of the earth and they preach and they're martyred and they're not scared of nothing. We know how that goes. But let's, let's go back at the time and the context. At the time, they hadn't preached anywhere. At the time, they hadn't left anywhere. All they knew was this little area right here called Jerusalem and maybe parts of Judea. Judea was like the county, right? This is what they knew. And now Jesus is saying, you're going to go to the ends of the earth. How would they respond? How would you respond? Let me, let me modernize this first. You. You, 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 especially you, like you, you. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be witnesses to me in your neighborhood, in your office, in the gym that you go to, in the Starbucks where you get the coffee. You'll be witnesses to me in those areas, in all of Arlington, and of all of Fairfax County, maybe even Loudoun will throw some of them in as well, and to the entire United States of America. You will be witnesses to me. How do you respond? Anyone jumping up and saying, yes, that's why I came to church on a Sunday. Anybody jumping up and excited? Anybody? Like, who's the first one? 
Who's first one? I'll book a ticket. I'll go to, I, I, I go to kayak.com. I'll book you a ticket right now. Like, who's the first one? Anybody excited? What is your feeling inside right now? No, thank you. Or we'll pray about it. You are feeling the same way that they felt, which is afraid. And you say, but I can't. And I don't know. Like somehow, let me tell you one of the, the hypocrisy, one of some hypocrisy that we do. We somehow made it so that we say that preaching the gospel today is much more difficult than it was back then. And the world is different and people aren't. What? We think that because someone may look at us or unfriend us, man, these people had to give up their lives. Being a Christian meant a death sentence. Even Jesus said that brother will betray brother and parents were their own children. And being a Christian back then, being a Christian, not preaching, being a Christian meant that you would likely forsake your career you would likely forsake your family and you're probably going to forsake your life at some point in time as well. And he's saying, go preach it. And we somehow made it. Yeah, it was easy for them because they were, no, no, no. This was a real cost and they were afraid. And they said, we don't know if we can do this. And all we know is Jerusalem. And I'm sure that a piece of them wanted to say, hey, Jesus, why don't we just stay here with you? We'll pray a lot. We'll fast if you want us to fast. We'll read the Bible. Heck, we will write the Bible. And what would Jesus have said? He said, no. Like, y'all don't get it. This, this, what I'm building, like this, my ecclesia that we spoke about a few weeks back, like this, no. It's not about staying. It's about going. So if all you kind of care about is staying, you missed everything. You missed the point of why I called you in the first place. You cannot be a disciple without being an apostle. You cannot be a follower without being someone who is sent. And if Peter would have said, I'll be your disciple, but I won't go anywhere. Peter, you are no longer my disciple. Because being my disciple means doing what I called you to do and I called you to go out. And the fact that you say no means you're no longer a good disciple. What we want to talk about here is three places that we need to go based on this verse. All right, we're going to group it like this. We're going to say Jerusalem is one, Judea and Samaria is the other, and the ends of the earth. Jerusalem is the city. Judea and Samaria is like the county. Like I said, that's Fairfax County, Loudoun County, Arlington County, all the ends of the earth. Three places you need to go. Three places all of us need to go based on this verse. Number one, I need to first go to those in my world. I need to go to those in my world. That's Jerusalem. Go to those in my world. There's a story in Luke chapter 8. One time Jesus was out and about and he was doing his miracle thing and preaching thing and he was doing all kinds of good stuff. He healed a man who was possessed by demons. That man said, Jesus, you healed me. I want to stay with you forever. I just want to follow you around everywhere you go. And Jesus said to him, that's not how it works. Look what he says. Luke chapter 8, verse 38. Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him, begged him that he might be with him. You say, okay, this is why Jesus came. This guy's begging to be his disciple. But Jesus sent him away, saying, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. That's kind of strange. A man saying, begging, Jesus, I want to be with you. Jesus saying, no. But isn't that the whole point of Jesus, why you came, is that we would be with you? 
He said it's half of it. That's disciple. And the disciple is half of the story. But apostle is the other half of the story. And one without the other is incomplete. So here's what we're going to do. How are we going to translate those in my world? Where am I going to go? Specifically in my world, we are going to go out of our comfort zone. In my world, I'm going to be in my world, live in my world, and go out of my comfort zone. What is my world? My world, every one of us has a routine of life. Every one of us. We have our office building. We have our school and our classes, and we have our, 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 our classmates. We have the gym that we go to, and we see the same people on the same machine all the time. We have the same Starbucks that we go to every time. Like, we have our little life. Your parent, your kid's soccer team is the same as the taekwondo lessons, is the same as the baseball team, is the same as the swim lessons. Like, we all have our little world, our little world that we live in. And what I'm saying is, first step is we are going to go into that world, but with a different mindset. We're going to go into the world and realize that we have been sent into that world. We don't just exist in that world by accident. It's not coincidental. I have been sent into that world, into that gym, into that office, into that taekwondo class. I have been sent in there for a purpose and for a reason. And my question to you is, are you willing to step out of your comfort zone in that world? Now you say, hey, wait a minute, that's hard. Like that's harder. It's almost easier to get on a plane, go 5,000 miles to people that I'll never see, that I'll never have to deal with at work, easier to preach to them than preach to the people in my office. And you'd be saying that and you'd, I'd agree with you. But you don't make this as more complicated than it actually is. There's a way to make this easy. I think it was a year ago. I don't know exactly when it was. It was either a year ago, six months, two years, somewhere between now, 1985 and today, somewhere in there, okay? We did a series on what I called questionable living. Y'all remember that? It's called seasoning life. And the first message I gave was living a questionable life. And it was based on these two verses. Colossians 4, 5, and 6 says, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to Answer, each one. Hold that thought, answer. Next verse, 1 Peter 3, 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Both of these two verses are making an assumption. The assumption is what? That somebody will at some point in time ask you a question. And that assumption is based on the fact that Christianity from the very start has always been a place where the people who are inside it, you may not be gifted to speak, you may not be gifted to preach, but the people who are inside Christianity always lived such different lives. That's what I mean by questionable. Different lives that the people around them are like, what's wrong with you? Why do you do that? Why aren't you like us? First century church, we persecute you. You're gentle with us. You pray for us. Why do you do that? That's questionable. First century church was a place where everything in the society was against women and children, women and children, women and children. Women and children had no rights. Women and children were treated like dirt. Strong man survived. Christianity changed the entire world because Christianity was the only place in the world that says no women and men. Men may be stronger, but women are equal. Children, no one cares about children. We care about children. And we fight for the rights of children, even we fight for the rights of children who aren't even born yet. Christianity was questionable. And to be a Christian means that people asked you questions. 
back before I was a priest, I was working as a consultant, an IT consultant, back when they were just giving away IT jobs back in the late 90s. And I worked there for two and a half years. Okay, at a small little consulting company, which got by a, bought by a bigger one, bought by a bigger one, but whatever. I was a nobody. I was a nobody. I was bottom of the totem pole. I was the guy who defied all the, like, you come in as a consultant, and you're supposed to get promoted in this time and this time. I was the guy who never got promoted, okay? I was always passed by, and, I, and every time people managed to be like, we want to help you get promoted, and I'd be like, yeah, sure, great, but I'm like, oh, no, you know, and I never. I was the bottom of the totem pole. I was nothing. But what I always was, at least I think, I always like to have a good time. I like to joke, I like to laugh. Maybe that was part of the reason why I never got promoted. Okay, I had a good time at work. Like I always enjoyed myself. I wasn't there just for the work. Like my like people ask me like, what did you do at work? I learned how to juggle. Okay, during my consulting years. Okay, and I'm not joking. I didn't know how to juggle. Taught myself on the job. Okay, this is like something we did. We did like fun stuff like this. I had a good time. One of the things that people knew about me was I like to laugh. I like to joke. I like to have a good time. But somehow. Laugh, joke, fun, and then the conversation would steer into a certain direction. And all of a sudden, me, I kind of, I never said anything. But it got into areas of lewdness that I just, I wasn't comfortable. And I didn't say anything. People knew about me that one of my favorite things, and some of you still to this day know that about me, is I can't pass up. I like food. I like free. You marry those two together, and like, that's heaven for me. It's free food. Like, I was the kind of guy, every day, go to the office, put my bag down, go by the kitchen, just see what's left over from the night before, okay? Like, that was me. And I knew the Tuesdays where there was the staff meetings, I knew there'd be extra good stuff on the Wednesday. Like, you just know. You know when there's going to be good stuff. Anybody have free food? Who wants it? I eat it all. We got free donuts. Yeah, I'll take that. We got free pizza. I'll take that. We got free from the bottom of my shoe. Bring it out. Like, whatever it may be. But then somehow, it'd be a Friday, and they'd say, who wants free pizza? And I wouldn't say anything. I'd be like, okay, that's weird. And they'd say, who wants, you know, free hamburgers? And I wouldn't say anything. I didn't preach. just didn't say anything. We fast on Wednesdays and Fridays, so I said, no, I, mean, I wasn't eating anything. And I didn't tell them we fast. I just said, no, thank you. Well, it came a point in time that I realized I should probably say something because I felt God telling me to say something to them because they were kind of asking, like, why? I didn't answer for the longest time. Why? Because I, like you, was scared. I didn't want to make waves. I'm bottom of the totem pole. Like, I'm hanging by a thread. Like, we used to do, like, a little poll, who's most likely to get laid off. I was the unanimous one in the room. And I mean, I myself knew it. Like, it was unanimous. I'm most likely to get laid off from here. So I'm not making waves. I don't want, I, I'm, I'm scared. But I remember reading two verses. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Let's start with 10, 32. It's a happy people verse. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will confess before my Father who's in heaven. And that made me smile. Then the next verse. Whoever denies me before men, him I will deny before my Father in heaven. And I'll be honest, this scared me. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm telling you, I was scared. I was scared that there'd be a group of people who I spent two and a half years with and didn't know anything about anything. And then I would get to heaven one day and God would say, 
Hey, you remember those people? Even worse, that I would look and I would see them and they would say to me, why didn't you say so? So for me, that scared me. And I said, you know what? I got to say something. So the next time they asked, how come no, no, no French fry or no pizza? How come no hamburger? I said, you know what? Church. I kind of mumbled it. It's like this church thing. I don't really care. It's not just church. I'm just saying, like, just like it's a church. You know what their response was? Oh, that's pretty cool. I respect that. I said, really? They said, yeah. I said, we hate that you respect that. I'm getting married. And the appropriate thing to do, like we talk about and we joke about the wedding, then I realize, like, I should invite them to the wedding. I don't want to invite them to the wedding. They're American people. Like, our, our close team was like four people. So it was like this team of four that we worked with. And I'm like, they're American. Back then at the time, like, the church was going to be, like, like Arabic, and it's going to be crowded. It's almost 1,000 degrees, and it's, like, long. And I'm like, ah, like, this is, I don't want to invite them, but I have to invite them. So I, like, invite them, but you don't have to come. Don't worry. Like, hey. All of them come. They attend the church. Church is like a thousand hours. They come to the reception. Reception is a thousand more hours. And it was on a work day. We got married on a Monday Memorial Day. Okay, save a few bucks because it was a little cheaper on a Monday. <laughs> I went back after the honeymoon thinking like, they're never going to speak. They're going to think I'm a weirdo. They're going to think like I'm the weirdest person. Like, they had never seen anything like this before. Like, I was married by a guy who was dressed like this in hats and like, they just think I'm the weirdo. You know what they said? That was really cool. I didn't realize how impactful the church was on your life. That's what they said to me. Because they heard the speeches and whatnot, things like that. Fast forward the story. Eventually, I uh, am called to priesthood, and I go and I let them know that I'm going to get called to priesthood. And my supervisor, my supervisor, a lady who was my supervisor. I'm 24-year-old punk, good for nothing. My supervisor said, hey, can I talk to you about something? Sure. My boyfriend invited me to live with him. Do you think it's a good idea or not a good idea? <laughs> Regardless of what she ended up doing, God opened up a door for me. I never wanted to preach to anybody. I never wanted to open my mouth. But all I did was answer questions. And it comes a point in time where if you are living this, like if you're living this, someone's gonna say, hey, what's wrong with you? Man, all of us got fear and anxiety. Man, you got peace. What's wrong with you? Man, everyone else is gossip and you are making, like what's wrong with you? And the question is, are you going to step out of your comfort zone and say something? We have a core value here at STSA. It's our ninth core value, personal call to evangelism, which says the following. We believe that the call to evangelism and witnessing applies to us just as much as it did to the apostles in the early church. God will hold me accountable to its completion. I believe that. I believe that if you would have seen St. Peter, we gave St. Peter such a hard time when they said, are you with him? No, 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 I'm not with him. We do that all the time. And I believe in the same way that St. Peter would be held accountable for not witnessing, when asked, that we will be held accountable as well. I'm not trying to scare you, but I'm just trying to be honest. We gotta be willing to go out of our comfort zone. I'm not saying stand up on a, on a stage and preach. I'm telling you, as someone who stands up on a stage and preach, I am telling you, this 
is easier than that. This, I will do this a thousand times before I will go there and say something to someone in an office or in a gym. I agree with you. This is easier. This is safer. This is a safe, I agree with you, it's hard. But we have to be willing to step out of our comfort zone and share with those who God has put around us. Maybe he's put them around you for a reason. That's number one. Number two, Judea and Samaria. I must go to those beyond my world. First thing, I reach out to those in my world, step out of my comfort zone, but then I got to go beyond my comfort zone. I'm sorry, beyond my world into a world that is foreign to me that I do not live in. Nothing grows unless it is stretched. Nothing grows unless it is stretched. So how will your faith grow? How will your love for God grow unless it is stretched beyond your world? Look what Jesus said in Luke chapter four, verse 18. This is the one who we take his name. We are Christian. He is Christ. It means we are followers of him. Look what he said. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Watch now how he lists people who are outside of his world, people who he does not have any part of this. Jesus says he preached to the gospel to the poor, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus was not oppressed, Jesus was not blind, Jesus was not captive, Jesus was not brokenhearted, and Jesus was the richest of all the rich in a true sense of riches. But he went outside of who he was to reach out beyond his world. What I'm saying there, which you must go past, and I must go past, I must go out of my bubble. You know your bubble, don't you? Your bubble is everyone like you. Everything make me comfortable. My bubble, like I said, I go to work, I stop by the Starbucks, I go to the gym, I go to uh, uh, my bubble. Every now and then I must step outside of my bubble and reach out to the world that is beyond. You know what bugged the people, the religious leaders about Jesus? Like Jesus came and the Pharisees and religious leaders didn't like him. You know what bugged them the most about Jesus? Jesus never played the part very well. Jesus was coming as a rabbi, as a master, as a teacher, as a religious leader. Like from the very beginning, he knew the scriptures. And they said, okay, Jesus, this is what it means to be a religious leader. Jesus never fit the description. He went to lepers. You're not supposed to go to lepers. He went to women out by a well, sinful women. Jesus, that's not how you're supposed to do this thing. Jesus, what you're supposed to do, like how would Jesus have life, how would the world look today? If we're, like if Jesus just, Spent all his time in the temple. Spent all his time in the synagogue. Teaching the word of God. That's not Jesus. And that's what annoyed them so much. Jesus loved to hang out by a pool of sick people on the Sabbath day. Jesus loved to go to the station where the tax collectors were and talk to those vile people called tax collectors. Jesus loved to go to places where sinners and sinful people hung out. Listen carefully. If we are the body of Christ, how can we be the body of Christ if we spend all of our time in here? In our little comfort zones, in our little bubbles that we live in. I tell you another core value we have here at STSA, which Steve referenced earlier. Genuine love for community. It says this, we bleed with love for the community around us, especially those who are without Christ. We don't just care about spiritual needs around here. We care about physical, emotional, social needs as well. We seek to be a true blessing to the community in whatever way we can. 
This is why, as Steve mentioned earlier, we created a nonprofit here, a wing, an arm of STSA called the Hope Association. The whole point of that is to get, uh, give us opportunities to go to be outside in the community. It is great that we are right here, and it is great that we may open up in our offices, whatever it may be, but we have to be intentional about go outside of our bubbles to reach out to a group of people who we may have nothing to do with. That's why we go and feed the homeless. I know a group went yesterday. It's called Love Your City. That's why we do the mentoring program. We may not be in need of mentoring, but someone else is. This is why we go visit sick in the hospital. Not because we're sick, but because we are the body of Christ. Back to Herman. Herman didn't come to Alaska and plant churches. He didn't. He was not a priest. He was not a bishop. But he planted orthodoxy because of what he gave the community. Number one, Jerusalem. Witness in Jerusalem, in my world. I must go to those in my world, realize that I'm in my world for a reason. But then I'm not going to stop at my world. I'm going to go beyond my world. And I'm going to reach out to those who are outside of my bubble. Last but not least, I must care about the whole world. And look how easy I made it for you here. I changed go. Jesus said go. I didn't say go. I said care. What is the true mark? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? I think we can all agree, disciple of Christ means someone who lives the life of Christ. Would you agree with that statement? Someone who lived like Christ, good disciple. Someone who lives life very different than Christ, not good disciple. Agree? St. John said it this way in 1 John 2, 6. He said, he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. That's easy. If I don't walk as he walked, I can't say I'm his disciple. That's logic. Listen carefully here to me, SDSA family, all who are in attendance. There are a lot of areas we will fall short of the life of Christ. We will fall short. It's purity, judgmentalness, impatience, like all these things will fall short. Now granted, it'd be a lot easier to be patient if we could turn you know, a small lunch to a big lunch, but anyway, that's a different story. A lot of areas we will fall short, but one area where it is unacceptable to fall short. And that's when it comes to caring. Not doing, but caring. Because there is nothing more unchrist-like than to see someone suffering or in need and say, I don't care. I'm not saying doing. I'm not saying doing. We'll fall short in doing, and that's okay. We'll work together. But we cannot fall short in caring. We cannot fall short in seeing a need and saying, you know what? That doesn't matter to me. You know what? Good luck to you. Like, I got my own problems to deal with here. We cannot fall short in that. So if we're going to get this right, here's what we're going to do. We got to go out of our self-centeredness. We got to go out of our self-centeredness. We got to go out of our comfort zone, our bubble, and most of all, our self-centeredness, which means the world revolves around me, which means that when, like I said, when we stand to pray, 99.9% .9 of our prayers are focused on me and we make it, forgive me what I'm about to say, as if God, you are my servant, not I am your servant. And he is here to meet my needs, and I'm not here to meet his needs. And then we just throw in that token and bless the whole wide world. Okay, we just took some token. Yeah, and remember, all we just token, we don't even care about the whole wide world. We got to get out of it. I'm not saying do. I'm saying care. You know, every time I prepare a message, 
I always come up with like, like for my own notes, like what's the main message? Like what's my theme? I always write it at the top and my, my point is that everything I say contributes to that. So what's the main theme? Like walk away with one thing and I usually don't share it because it's kind of like something for me as I prepare in my notes, but I'm gonna share it today. And here is what I want every single person to know this. I am not here on a vacation. I am here on a mission. I am not here on vacation. The difference in your mindset, if you think you are on this planet for a vacation versus here on a mission, the more I read the Gospels and the words of Christ, the more it is clear and clear and clear and clear and clear to me that Jesus did not come to this earth only to bring us salvation. He did not come only, keyword only. He did come to bring us salvation, but not only. Jesus came to raise up an army. And if you go and read the same gospel I'm reading, we'll put that in your mind, you will see. He did not come to heal only. He came to raise doctors. He did not come to give good things only. He came to raise up an army of people, kingdom of light, soldiers, who would go and give those same good things to the entire universe. Said another way, as he said to Peter, I didn't come to catch fish. I came to make fishermen. Do you realize that you were here on a mission? Or you're playing on, like you're on vacation? Come here to church. God give me. Church give me. God serve me. God bless me. God keep me safe. God take care of my kids. What about someone else? Well, they can pray for their own kids. God help me know you better. What about the guy next to you in the cubicle next to you? Well, he's on his own. He deserves it. What he... Let me ask you this, church. You're the church. You're the body of Christ. What would Christ do? What would Christ do? If he saw a woman in your office buy, let's say, a water cooler and she was broken and she was discouraged, and she was like feeling guilty and shame. What would Jesus do? I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer. What would Jesus do? Students, students, college students, graduate students. What would Jesus do if he saw a student in your program who was just wandering about life aimlessly? No purpose. No idea of like what's going on in the world. What would he do? I don't have an answer for you. I'm not telling you the answer. I'm just asking you a question. What would Jesus do if he walked around Arlington and saw kids without parents? What would Jesus do if he walked around Arlington and saw victims of domestic abuse in a shelter? What would Jesus do if he went to a hospital wing and saw kids who had no smile on their face because of what the doctor just told them? What would Jesus do? I don't have an answer. I don't have the answer. I'm asking you. But I'm telling you, whatever the answer is, that has to be us. That has to be us. Because if we don't get this right, we messed up the whole thing. As you have sent me into the world, I sent them into the world. We're not here on a, on a vacation. We're here on a mission, the same mission of Jesus. And in front of God, the greatest honor, believe me, the greatest honor in life is to be on his team. That he would look out in the crowd and say, you, I want you on my team. You serve with me on my mission. Like, I'm coming for a mission, and I choose you. And I say, God, 
what a great, what a great honor. With every great honor, you know how this goes. With every great honor comes a great responsibility. And we need to pray, take this seriously and pray that we can be doing what Jesus called us to do as individuals and as a church family. And as we prepare to sing this song and say this prayer, this is not a prayer for ourselves. No me in, in the next three minutes of prayer, no me. We're not praying for our houses. We're not praying for our jobs. We're not praying for our kids. What we are now praying is, God, the mission that you have entrusted to us, Lord, that we would be faithful to proclaim this to the ends of the earth, in our world, beyond our world, and, and throughout the entire world. All of us now, we lift up our hearts and we're praying for the mission that God has put in front of us. Be on my lips, your praise will 
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, as we sang this song, Lord, that your praise always on our lips. We don't want it just to be on our lips when we're here in church as we sing this song, but everywhere we go, Lord, that the beauty of your resurrection, the glory of your resurrection would be such a real event in our lives and be so tangible in front of us, Lord, that everywhere we go, we would sing of your praises and that people would see something different inside of us, Lord, and you'd give us the courage that we need to proclaim it, and that you'd help us to reach beyond our world, to reach into a world that is maybe different or scary or, or foreign to us, but that we would realize that you sent us here, Lord, to reach that world with the message of this ancient faith, which is exactly what this modern world needs. We love you so much, Lord, and we thank you that you've entrusted us to carry the same message that St. Peter and St. John and St. Athanasius and all these greats carried this message, Lord, and you've entrusted that to us. Help us, Lord, as a church to always be walking in, in the path that you have for us and to be filling your plan, Lord, and that your gospel would spread in Arlington and Fairfax and Loudoun. All the ends of the earth, Lord, would know you and the beauty of your church. I pray these things in the mighty name of your son, Jesus, the prayers of all of your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.